to Mayo Clinic Educator Central, brought to you by the Learning Solutions Center at Mayo Clinic. I'm Stacy Kraft, an assistant professor of medical education and senior instructional designer at Mayo Clinic. As educators, we're always looking for ways to transform and transcend the traditional boundaries of our classroom and education, as well as making our education more impactful. When I think about this challenge, one thing that comes to mind as a strategy is using games. Because games really do have that power to transcend the boundaries of education. They offer dynamic and immersive approaches to learning that engages, motivates, and empowers learners in unique ways. Incorporating games into your curriculum can move education from a passive endeavor to an active, immersive, and engaging experience that promotes critical thinking, teamwork, experiential learning, and empathy. Even more so, when creatively leveraged, games can equip learners with the skills and mindset necessary for their success. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Mayo Clinic educator Michelle Nelson, who has really embraced the power of games all the way from conceptualization to implementation in a truly novel way and leverages them in medical education. Michelle Nelson is the program director for the Mayo Clinic School of Health Sciences Histology Technician Program and assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology with more than 20 years of experience in histotechnology as well as teaching. She has a bachelor's in biomedical science from St. Cloud State University and earned her master's degree in education with a specialization in post-secondary and adult education from Capella University. Michelle is a member of the American Society for Clinical Pathology, the National Society for Histotechnology, and the Minnesota Society for Histotechnology. She also sits on the National Accrediting Agency for Clinical Laboratory Review Committee for accredited programs, is a team member for the Histology Quality Improvement Program jointly sponsored by the National Society for Histotechnology and the College of American Pathologists, and was recently appointed as a member of the Board of Certification Board of Governors as an American Society for Clinical Pathology Lab Professional Representative. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Super excited. Can you tell us a little bit about where you work and, and what kind of education? What, what are you teaching? Great question. So I am the program director for the Histology Technician Program. Our program is situated within the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. My educational background, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in biomedical science. So I've always had a passion for science, biology, mm-hmm. chemistry, you name it. And I ended up in the histology laboratory at Mayo Clinic, started as a lab assistant and worked my way through to become the program director of this newly created histology technician program. And as program director, I'm engaged in the daily learning activities that the students will do on campus and then also the didactic curriculum. What are some of the challenges of teaching histology that would lead you to games? So histology itself is challenging in the sense that it's a very physical process. So students have to be on campus for a a huge amount of time. They put many, many clinical hours in, many hours in our laboratory. That's one of the things that students love about our program is that it's so hands-on. And that's what they also love about the profession as a whole. They want to see things, touch things, want to work with their hands. And we don't get that with some of these knowledge-based components. And they're so more conceptual, think, right? Like yeah, they're more conceptual. Exactly. And so the games allow them to create a physical 
component to a topic that is more conceptual. One thing that we also realize as faculty is that we get a real-time assessment of where the students are at. When the students are creating their questions and then they're playing the games amongst their peers, we can really see each individual learning, each individual learner's gaps in their knowledge set. So again, if we have a student that's struggling with creating high quality questions or they're not able to really answer the questions appropriately, we can identify that and then we can intervene earlier. We can see a student that doesn't truly get it and then faculty can use that to build off of and, and intervene and maybe get some one-on-one -on -one time with that student to help them understand or even during the session, we can further explain co concepts that maybe the entire class doesn't get, and we can help build that out, or we can build that into our review session that we might have later. And so we can really focus and, and personalize things based on where these gaps have been identified during the gaming sessions. Oh, so that's great. So the process of them creating and playing and talking, helping them I guess, create custom education, right? For what that class needs. Yeah, absolutely. How did you get interested in using games for education? I was thinking about this and I'm not exactly sure how I got started or where the idea first came from. I think we were always looking for ideas to create an engaging environment for our students. And we had some topics that were not super hands-on. So we were looking for ideas on how to make that more engaging and make it more hands-on so the students were interested in learning. And I feel like I probably saw it somewhere, but I just I, it can't. And it's evolved so much since we first started that I'm just, I'm not sure where the idea actually generated from. Our faculty are pretty creative. So I think it was probably maybe during a brainstorming session. What kind of topics do you mean that aren't very hands-on? So... One of the topics that we have, and it's specific to histology, it's called fixation. It's a foundational concept within the preparation of making slides that is difficult to understand, yet super important to the basic principles of quality within our work. And it, it's, in my opinion, it's very dry. It's not the most exciting topic, and it's not visual. It happens at the cellular level, so the students don't always appreciate it and don't get to see exactly how it happens. So we were looking for ways to make that more exciting. Um, other things that we've done in the past are some of those, again, less hands-on activities. We can't do them physically in our laboratory or on campus. Things like processing, which is about how to handle a specimen and water moves in and out and gets replaced with different chemicals. And again, that's not very visual. It happens more at the cellular level and not really something we can understand. Oh, that's super interesting. So, and I know that you've done some amazing work in this field. Would love to hear more if you could share with people a little bit, some examples of what gaming and health looks like for you. Yeah. So the games themselves are actually pretty simple. The concept is pretty simple. We've assigned a topic as faculty. So we give them a topic that they can choose from and, and they can go with it in any direction that they want. And then the students select their game and build it from there. So the game selection choices are absolutely endless. We've seen things like Jeopardy, Bingo, Monopoly, kid games like Apples to Apples or Shoots and Ladders. Things that they remember playing or currently are playing and they want to modify it into something 
histology topic related. Some of our students are incredibly creative, so they select their own topic. I give them that freedom to do it how they want to, but I also have a generated list of things that we've done in the past. So for students that maybe are, are struggling with an idea, they can choose from that list, but I certainly don't put any limits on the direction that they can go. Sometimes students are even building unique original games, and I encourage all of that creativity. We don't necessarily put boundaries upon which game they can select. Interesting. So your protocol would be to say, make a game. You can adapt from a game that you know or make a new one. Mm -hmm. And then how do you define the parameters of what they're supposed to be achieving with the game so that it is um, helpful? Yeah. So the first thing we start to discuss is what are our expectations, essentially. And we do that through our grading rubric. Part of that grading rubric identifies components, if you will, to how we want it to look. But again, it's super broad. So in a perfect world, they would have at least 30 questions that are built into the game in some way, shape, or form. And those can be open-ended questions. They can be multiple choice. They can be whatever, however they want to adapt it. They just are free to construct whatever type of questions they want that work towards their game. We want their game materials to essentially be organized and formatted in a way that's easy for the students to work with and understand, which is why a lot of our students will build off of a previous existing game like Monopoly. They'll use maybe a Monopoly game board and adapt it to the topic. Our grading rubric also encourages them to create an opportunity for learning that enriches the environment. So of course we want things to be accurate and not have a lot of errors in terms of content and spelling and grammar and things like that. Um, we want it to be relevant so that it can enhance the student learning. And then we just want the students to be able to demonstrate their knowledge and be able to accurately portray the answers to the questions. So they should be knowledgeable in their game. Along with that, we're also asking for good communication skills so that they're clearly and accurately communicating the game. They're showing that they're knowledgeable and that they're poised. Ideally, they would be enthusiastic. If they're building off of something that they enjoy, typically enthusiasm isn't an issue. And then we're also looking for collaboration with their student colleagues. So are they actively engaged with other learners when they are preparing their game? Are they providing good instructions and answering student questions? Are they clarifying the meaning around answers and providing additional information as needed? And then when they are playing other student games, we're asking them to engage, answer questions, listen, just portray a positive attitude about the whole experience. Those are kind of the key components to our gaming rubric, which helps to identify the components that we're looking for to make this a successful experience. Yeah. So students are crafting a game based on criteria from a rubric that you've provided. And then what happens? Uh, once they have their game, they have to be ready to actually implement that game. And we schedule class time for that. So we give them approximately a week, week and a half, two weeks, depending on how the schedule works out to build their game. So not a ton of time, but this is really the only activity that they're scheduled to do from a knowledge perspective. I would imagine for the learners, the students, it's kind of fun, all the novelty and enthusiasm around creating this game. Yeah. Yeah. I think the students do get excited about it. So it's something different, something they haven't done before. And they're excited because most people enjoy games and most people have played <laughs> games in the past. So they don't typically have a problem getting to that point. And then once they're developing those questions, 
it doesn't, it, it seems like less of an assignment and more just a fun way to learn. Uh, at least that's the feedback we're getting from the students. Yeah, that makes sense. So once they have their game built, they have their questions, we schedule some time for them to play in class. We typically allow 30 to 45 minutes per game. And then that game is facilitated by faculty. And again, it's guided by our grading rubric. And then the students just play it out and it works out to be a really great opportunity for them to review. We've even had requests of students to play games at the end of the program um, or preparing for their final exam. So these games can be used again. And so I have a couple questions about what you shared. Do the students play each other's games ever? We have a very small class. So each student will prepare their own game. They will play each other's games. So we have um, two to three days scheduled, just a two, three hours each day where a student will be assigned to implement their game. During that time, they will explain the instructions. That student doesn't necessarily play their own game, but they facilitate the, the game, kind of like a, a game show host, if you will. Right. And then the other students are responsible for playing out the game. And so the, the students that have not been responsible for preparing the questions are actually getting another student's questions to review from. You know, depending on, on the student's creativity, some of the questions can be really challenging. But at the same time, there's a wide mix of easy, basic questions, intermediate to advanced questions, and they get a wide breadth of things. And even if some of the games that they're playing have questions that are the same as a previous game, it's okay because that allows students to have those concepts on repeat. And typically the question is worded in a different way to make it somewhat more challenging. So interesting. So if uh, they're playing each other's games more than one player at a time, like something like Monopoly, I would think you'd want to have more than one player, right? Then then because that'd be kind of boring one person going around the board. Right. It sounds like there's really two phases of this. It's not just students playing a game to learn or having gamified learning that has some kind of gaming element like badges or or leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Instead, a lot of this seems to be about constructing, creating, and imagining the game and then and then creating it physically, it sounds like. You know, I'm assuming they're making some actual physical artifacts. Do you find the value of this to be strongest in the creation of the game? Yeah, so I think most educators know that if you can write a test question and understand the answer behind it, that is a real opportunity to display your knowledge. And it, if you can teach it, you can you understand it. And I think that's what we were building from when we were asking them to create questions, almost like exam type questions, if you will, to help them engage with the material and understand what they're talking about, because they essentially have to be the content experts when they are playing out their game. So I think there's a ton of value in that, in that first creation portion. While the game itself is maybe important, I think it's more of a tool to get them to make questions and understand and and strengthen their learning behind the topic. And then again, when they are playing the the games, they're, they're having that opportunity to review and quiz themselves in more of a live, fun, loving environment that gives them that second opportunity prior even to the exam to to understand the material. And I would think that even by playing each other's games that they're then seeing, oh, look what this person did with the same the same charge. I was charged with doing this and they were charged with doing the same thing and we ended up creating totally different, you know, approaches and that that has to be a bit of a a learning moment too to just see the same sort of learning goals acted out in 
like completely different ways. Absolutely. Um, you couldn't be more right. They really learn from and with each other, which is what makes this so amazing because it's super student-centered. Students create the content, they deliver the content, they encourage collaboration and discussion, and faculty are just there to guide and ensure that the content is accurate. So there may be times where a student doesn't fully understand something, and if another student also doesn't fully understand something, the faculty can intervene as needed. And also just to make things run smoothly, right, keep things on track, Sometimes they get carried away with their games, and so they they take longer than we would anticipate them to. So, what's uh, that look like? Someone getting carried away with the game? Oh, there's so much fun. There's laughing. There's there's giggling. There's that competitiveness that they get from each other. That bantering back and forth. And but it's just a super fun, lively way to engage in a topic that's not super stimulating. So yeah. So this um, is like an amazing amalgamation of like creativity, you know, using that really high order thinking and then social learning, it sounds like. So there you're really mixing a lot of things, especially by having them create the game, right? Like, so I feel like if you just pulled out a game that maybe somebody made a previous year or the faculty made, you would not have this experience, right? Like it, part of it is about that creation aspect. Yeah, and the students become more invested. Playing a, a previously prepared game, it's not quite as motivating. It, it's not quite as thrilling. Now we can see students' creativity when they do their own and then the investment that they're making puts more passion into it. And then the students are super helpful with each other. They're super um, excited to play each other's games and see what kind of creativity and spin they put on this topic. Like you said, there's lots of different ways to present the same material. And I think students really appreciate that. So when your students are making the games, I assume it has like a tangible presence. What is an example of what that might look like? When you said Monopoly, I thought, how does Monopoly look on in physical form and then how does that translate to like a quiz question format like how do people synthesize that in the monopoly for example the students will often either take an existing game board and then put maybe little post-it notes or little covers over certain things and relate it to for example fixation so there's different ways to fix things and the little the, the board pieces might be related to a different topic. So if you land on a particular piece of property in Monopoly, in order to get that piece of property, you would have to answer a quiz question. And if you get it right, then you get the property. So it's not necessarily- well, the money. Because, so the knowledge yeah. becomes the money. Interesting. Yeah, the knowledge becomes the money. So, um, and, and some students will actually make a, their own game board, if you will. They'll just duplicate the concept of Monopoly and build it onto their own and then sometimes students will get really creative and they'll create their own game pieces. Mm -hmm. So rather than using the little houses or using the little hat or the horse or whatever that might be, mm -hmm. they would build out a game piece that's related to that topic. So we deal with tissue. So it might be different tissue types like kidney or liver or spleen. And people fight over which game piece they're going to be, right? <laughs> that's um, <so> fun. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that level of creativity in like you said, for Monopoly, it would be that the money is replaced with quiz questions. Same thing with something like shoots and ladders. The shoots and ladders, you land on a game board, you have to answer a question. If you get it wrong, you have to slide to another 
space on the board, or you might get to go up the ladder because you got a bonus question. We also have, there's lots of free online templates for games that are already built. Jeopardy is a great example of that. Um, I think there's a Monopoly template out that out there for that. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Smarter than a fifth grader. All of those games already have pre-existing templates, so students can just build their questions in to those templates, mm -hmm. and that allowed us to be flexible with maybe some learners that were joining virtually. Our program is a three-site or three different campuses. We have Arizona, and Florida, and Rochester. And so that flexibility with those online templates gives us a way to make sure that they are engaged and can participate in, in our gaming. When we, when we were virtual, entirely virtual, they did the online templates. Currently, we do more of a hybrid option. So they can make a physical game and we can bring students together on campus who are local. And then our students that are virtual will join virtually still and we will just have those game pieces being moved by somebody who's physically on campus. So they can still do that type of game if they choose to. Um, a person virtually on the Florida or Arizona campus can also make a physical game. The complexity there is just situating the, their camera. A proxy to, to move their stuff around for them. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, what I'm just curious, you said that many people adapt from existing games, but some people have made up their own games. Can you think of a game that is totally novel that someone made up that surprised you? Yeah, there was it was kind of like a true false game. It was it, they created these almost they almost look like um, ping pong paddles. And maybe it was on an existing game, but I hadn't seen or played it before. And essentially it was it was fix it or not. And okay. so it was like a true false question and each of the students had a paddle and then they would flip it one way or the other. So, and then we've just had more of like a far-fetched type of opportunity for based on a, an existing game, some things that they had to really adapt and it really almost changed the whole premise of the game simply to allow it to be more of a question answer type of session. And then some students have just made a simple game board with like some you get it right, you move ahead. If you don't, you stay where you're at type of thing. So um, just this is our own little simple game board versus trying to yeah. use an existing game board. What's an example of one that was like where they really had to stretch it? Um, what's that game? Survivor. Survivor was a game that, you know, you based on the TV show, right? So you go yeah. out and you have to do challenges and physically do something. I think that was one of the most unique. I mean, it was a game of survival. Mm -hmm. But it was very adaptive. I mean, they weren't doing challenges like we're typically seeing on TV. Right. They were doing histology-related challenges. And they had to work together as a team to build certain things. And then they had to do things individually as challenges. That was probably one of the most creative games that I've seen. Wow, that sounds really cool. So, Michelle, why do you think games are so effective? I think we talked a little bit about this, but your, your example that you're sharing of the exercise, it's so multi-pronged, right? So it isn't just someone playing a game. What do you think makes the entire assignment, I suppose, for lack of a better word, so effective? From a faculty perspective, I think it increases their mental effort. So when we create assignments, the idea is to have them strengthen their understanding and really put effort into their work. And I think this 
because it's more of a social, fun, engaging activity, it increases that mental effort. I think it also helps to promote active learning because we're really, we really want them to have some sort of hands-on engaging experience, especially throughout our program. And this was one topic where we felt we needed to do more. It really deepens their understanding when they are writing those questions. It it gets them to that next level. And, and this concept is not easy by any means, but it's something that they have to carry with them all the way through the program, all the way through boards. And then as they become employees and start out on their career, I mean, these are concepts that just can't go away. So they're like fundamental. Yeah, they're super fundamental. And I think we can we see them going back and reflecting on that gaming experience and helping them recall that information a little easier than if they're just memorizing a textbook. I think there's something to be said about people creating their own uh, people want to students want to create, especially the the mo- most modern generation of students like to create their own materials anyway for learning. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of building in that thing that they want to do anyway in a completely unique and fun way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And we've gotten great, great feedback from the students. Some some would say, you know, at first I had my doubts. It just seemed like one more assignment, one more task item, check right. it off the list. Uh, but they ended up really having fun. And and some of them have even said it's a stress reliever, right? So they're in class, they're laughing, they're having a good time. And, and that helps to alleviate some of the stress and especially a stress around a difficult topic. Typical feedback is that it just helped them to learn. It helped them in a different way than maybe just flashcards or note cards or um, something that they, you know, their typical means of studying. By providing such a wide area for them to work in, not giving the constraints of saying you must make this kind of game, you're really giving your learners a chance to the ones that want to be super creative and put a lot of energy into making a neat game can do that. And maybe those that aren't as into it might just go with maybe more of like a just a straight up quiz question type game, right? Like it's still a lot of effort to build that, but they don't have to spend as much time on the game mechanics. Yeah, there's a wide range of of complexity and and input and creativity into these games. They all have to have the same number of questions. So still developing that component to it. But yeah, some students just run with it and they get really excited from the very beginning. What are some of the challenges yourself and you know, other educators might have if they're trying to introduce something like this to their curriculum? So I think game quality has, it can be a challenge, right? Instructions have to be clear. Students have to understand how to play their game. Sometimes they might make a game, but haven't really demoed it. So don't know exactly how they want to play it. Right. Um, and so it has to be well thought out and, and the complexity can vary. And I think as faculty, we have to be okay with that. We know that they're still doing the assignment. They're still getting something out of it. It just might not be to the level of quality that we would like. And, and that's okay. We just have to be okay that some of that game quality is not, it's going to vary. But the game itself, again, is just a tool. And some students run with it and some students don't. And so, and that's fine. We just we just want to make sure that everybody is getting the opportunity. And, and that's, it's successful across the board. Yeah, any other challenges that you think that educators might face in trying to implement this? Yeah, I think there's there's pros and cons to competition. I, I'm in favor of friendly competition. I think it's <laughs> motivating, but um, we, we've had a group or two that has, have been incredibly competitive and, and we get 
you know, borderline almost too much. So <laughs> we have to be a little careful about that. Sometimes we have to temper some people's personalities a little bit. We don't want to leave anybody behind. So there might be some students that are less confident, you know, less uh, personable, like they're just, they don't put themselves out there. So we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to have a voice, answer questions and things like that, which typically happens. But occasionally we have to intervene there a little bit. And if we feel like we have a class that maybe is a little quieter, a little bit less likely to just impromptu answer questions or put themselves out there, we can we can use partners or small groups. So rather than having an individual play, you can uh, good idea. answer a question with your partner and then have a little bit more opportunity to engage and, and feel like you're part of the, the process. A couple of other things, of course, when you have virtual learners, you have to be mindful of that. And I think it's important upfront when faculty are introducing the assignment to explain that and make sure that they consider that when they're building their game, right? Having that proxy person to move game pieces mm -hmm. or making sure that they can visually see the game board if that's important. And then um, faculty oversight can also be a learning curve. So we don't want to have too much intervention. We want the students to kind of work through the process on their own. But we also want to make sure that they're not being steered in the wrong direction. If the content isn't accurate or there's some right. questionable things, we want to make sure that they're getting that the right answer, um, <laughs> having a dialogue around that. And then even during the gameplay and things, you know, making sure to step in and, and making sure that the answers or any discussion that follows up is clear. You know, in the beginning, you said almost all or all students are really into this, you know, that they, they really love it and you get a lot of positive feedback. And, but you also mentioned that a few times you've noticed some trepidation when the assignment is first introduced to the students. What do you say to learners or how do you, or maybe you don't, maybe you just say do it. But what do you say to <laughs> learners? How do you address and how do you address that? I think the initial is just the assignment itself, right? It's just, it's one more thing that they have on their plate to accomplish. And I think any assignment at any point can cause some anxiety with students sure. and the unknown, right? Is sometimes a little bit scary. They're, they're not sure exactly how they're going to move forward with this. And some students have a game in mind five minutes after I introduce the topic. And some of them, it takes a little while to figure out how they're going to adapt something, especially if they don't they haven't played games or they don't, they don't, they're involved in that really. So it might take a little bit uh, more time, but easing their minds to, so that they know that there are templates out there if they want to have something that's already been prepared and they just have to write their questions after they kind of understand and have had time even to talk with their fellow peers about it. We mm -hmm. give them a little bit of time to maybe brainstorm or talk to their partner or talk to another colleague in the class and and get some ideas. Oh, that's the way I could go. Or, oh yeah, this is a great idea. And so once they start talking about it, I think it, it sets their, their mind at ease a little bit. And we haven't had too much of that. The fun stuff is when they actually play the games and, and they're enjoying themselves. That's, that's where they really start to say, Hey, this wasn't such a bad deal. Yeah. So it all comes around in the end. Yep. Yep. So um, what can someone do today? to dip their toes into trying games and education? What advice do you have? Not, you know, let's say they don't have time to implement this full assignment, you know, structure that you have. So as a faculty member, I can just build a game myself, which are pretty easy. We have these, these templates out there. Easy ones um, that we do periodically even is that Kahoot. Uh, a lot of the students coming in now have played Kahoot in high school or, or in some other learning capacity. And so just implementing a simple, easy game as part of a review that's developed by faculty, I think is a great way to kind of test the waters and see how that might work. 
I think also if if you kind of want to get started, maybe start building that that grading rubric, um, and then uh, but then point. allowing yourself some flexibility to adapt. I mean, ours has morphed many times over just to kind of make it more clear on the expectations and giving the faculty a solid way to grade the interaction, the collaboration, the communication, and all of that. Um, so I think that that's where I would probably start just thinking about how do I want students to be assessed in this activity? Well, it was wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. If you have any ideas for topics, would like to be a guest, or want to reach out to us, send us an email at edufi at mayo.edu.